Hey everybody, welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm your host, Patrick. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> howdy. Howdy. Howdy duty? Yeah, that okay. works. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? We are all doing wonderful. You speak for the masses? I speak for the people. Okay, okay. Well, the that's people good. have spoken and they love my, my words. They do. <laughs> they love them. My really fucked up shenanigans of words that we, if you want to call them... I don't mean, you can't even call them phrases. It's just dumb shit that falls out of my mouth. Yeah. You think it, it plops right I don't out. Think it. I don't think it. You don't think it. It's a gut reaction. <laughs> it's more instinctual than anything else. <laughs> That's why it's so stupid. <laughs> Same. Sometimes you're rubbing off on me. I, I am. It's really scary sometimes, actually. I know. I'm trying to think. Do we have any new? Yes. The stickers. We talked about the stickers last time. Um, Y'all... Thank y'all so much. Y'all gave us the best reaction to the stickers. The feedback was so good. We had There's to order so more stickers. Many of you guys that wanted them. We had to order more. So we are bless going. You, bless you, coconut. The Great Pyrenees the in the background. Podcast pup. Podcast the pudding pod pup. Oh God. <laughs> but we had such a great reaction to the stickers that we're gonna order some more, and we're gonna get Patrick to set us up like a little merch store and start slowly adding stuff to it. Yeah. And I started working on a Patreon thing. I just don't have anything on it. So well, yeah, I'm not going to exactly put it out there and say, sign up for it when there's not shit on it. <laughs> so give us some time to get some content up there. Working on the merch stuff. Maybe give some free giveaways on there. I don't know. Stickers will be up on there. Um, I like, I do like the stickers. So I'm glad that you guys like I do, them. And I like the idea of doing more stickers. And, and once we get the Patreon yeah. up and running, we have some it, other designs, the, the subscribers and stuff vote. Mm-hmm. on the next round of stickers or some of the merch designs we're looking at. Right Heck yeah. Hell yeah. But so we'll come up with a couple of designs. We're kind of good. working on a couple of merchandise looking ideas. Mm-hmm. And we can settle it down to like two or three. Yeah. We'll put it on there and say, Hey, y'all vote. Or maybe the first round we'll just do it on Instagram. Cause we don't, have we definitely need something with coconuts face on it. Since she's the, equated with the sick shit you talk about on here. That's she's true. She's so innocent and stupid. She's she, she's not stupid. She's smart. I know she's smart, but she's she's, big, the, she's one of the big doofy dogs. That's she's the pudding pod pup. <laughs> looks at you like she has no idea what's up or down. Yeah, I know. She gives off one of those ditzy airs. Oh but yeah, she's not. She's a, she gives off the dumb dog vibe. <laughs> but she's not. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I have quite the case for you today, Patrick. You're gonna. That's never. That's a good and a bad thing at the same time for me. Like, I don't know to be excited or fucking terrified. You're going to be shooketh. Absolutely shooketh. For sure. I think you'll like this one, though. Well, as Art much thou as you can. backeth in the medieval times ages? Yeseth. <laughs> the fuck? Shooketh? <laughs> You're going to be shooketh. Okay, I'm going to be shooketh. So, you want me to just hop right into it? So, because it's going to be kind of a long one. So... Um, we don't really do short ones. Yeah. Okay. Not really a long one. It's not going to be like a two-part about the same or length from what you told me is about all of ours. Yeah. I just don't want to keep, I always feel bad that I keep y'all here so much because brevity is not my strong suit. So no, <laughs> it's not. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's not at all. But, uh, no, the, the people like your, you, you, you can't do a short one because of the detail you go into. It's too hard for you to do it short, right? I am not going to sacrifice detail. No one's asking you to. For brevity, for sure. One of the f- biggest things that I, the biggest things I think the, the people like and you and I like is the amount of detail you go into. Well, thank you. Not just about the crime. That. Yeah. Everybody goes into detail about the horrific crime, but you go into like unknown facts, unknown details. And really, uh, one thing I love that we do is explore 
the person or the person that becomes the killer. It This is like the, one of my first little, I guess, quote, jobs that my OCD really comes into handy. <laughs> it really does. It really does. It drives For me crazy sure. sometimes with it too. I know. It's okay. You get OCD about how your voice sounds and I'm like, I, I can't do anything. I like hate listening back to myself. But you know like, what everybody does. I, I guarantee you. And we've talked to, you know, some of our other friends, like they're all like, I hate fucking editing because I hate listening to myself. Yeah. It's, no one likes it. Ed- like I hate editing because I can't stand listening to myself talk. Like I'll literally delete myself off the whole thing and just listen to you go. Cause I can't stand. Oh my God. I Patrick's know. dumbassness. I listen he's about five back deep about an hour into the episode. And he's like, oh, do, 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 do. like, Oh, come on. Patrick, I'll listen talk. back. I'm like, Oh my God. How is anybody ever married to me? I wonder and how you let me talk towards the end of the episodes. Like, my mic should just, like after <laughs> we'll like, turn you off. beer number four, my mic should just turn off. <laughs> no. Like, if you have four beers, Patrick, no more talking for you, You're sir. You're not allowed to speak. Don't talk. <laughs> no, please keep talking. <laughs> if you haven't ever noticed, that's why we kind of ramble at the very end a little bit, because we're usually a little tipsy. You are. I me. always am, because it's Friday night, and this is what we do. I got to keep it together for this. Well, you ready? Uh, been ready. Okay, let's do this thing. So, we're going back to the 80s again, just like last week. So, we're back in the 80s. Uh, December 28th, 1987 was the first Monday after Christmas break. The people of Russellville, Arkansas were just getting themselves back to work. Everybody knows how the first Monday back to work after Christmas break feels. Especially in Russellville, Arkansas. It sucks. However, this would be far from a typical work day. This is evil pudding, of course. Of course. (laughs) There was a crazed ex-military gunman on the loose. Russellville resident Ronald Gene Simmons would be arrested on this day for shooting two innocent people to death and critically wounding many at their various places of employment around town. 46-year-old Simmons was apprehended and arrested without incident and showed absolutely zero remorse for the devastation that he caused in the community. Once in custody, a police escort drove Simmons to Arkansas State Hospital in order for him to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. Yep. And a psych evaluation was definitely called for. I mean, who in their right mind would do something like this to seemingly random people for no reason, right? No Especially motive. Back no then. robbery, nothing. Especially back in 87, that was not a no. heard of current sadly Just a random shooting. Much, sadly, today it's much yeah. more common. It is, it is. But back then it absolutely wasn't. No. Well, on the way to the hospital, Simmons assigned deputy assigned officer, uh, Deputy James Bolin, recognized him from around town and suddenly felt the nagging need to ask Simmons about his family, who he knew lived some somewhat of a hermetic lifestyle up on Mockingbird Hill in nearby Dover, Arkansas. And officer, officer Bolin asked Simmons, he said, Sir, you have a large family up on Mockingbird Hill. Are they doing all right? In response, Simmons was absolutely stoic and remained staring straight ahead at the road, but Officer Bolin noticed that his prisoner's bottom lip began to quiver. It was then that Bolin radioed in demanding officers check up on the Simmons family who lived up on Mockingbird Hill, and what those officers would find would forever haunt them. So today, my friends, we will be talking about the largest familial homicide in U.S. history. 
the Mockingbird Hill Massacre, and the vile human being who callously claimed the lives of 16 people. The truly evil monster and abuser known as Ronald Gene Simmons. Have you heard of him, Pat? Yeah, I heard of Gene Simmons. Well, yeah. No, it's not the Kiss front man. Okay. Yeah. Was, we'll worry there for a second. It made Googling him very interesting. I will I'm have to sure. say. I'm sure. Just let me Google <laughs> pictures of Gene Simmons with his tongue out. Yeah, exactly. So, as usual, let's look at the background and early life of this guy. Let's find out what made this monster a monster. Yeah, because sometimes it can be interesting to kind of know what shaped them. We always like that because sometimes yeah. there's absolutely nothing you can find. And other times it's one little thing. Yeah. Like within some people you see like the one little thing that happened to them. Like, I don't want to say one little thing that happened to Bundy, but we've referred to it before. The, the breakup. The breakup was his, yeah. Or, or was a catalyst. his mind, his victims for the rest of his, his spree. Yeah. You know, others, like we've talked about Otis and... Henry Lee Lucas, they're just pieces of shit from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But they also had horrible childhoods. To force they were them to destined be of shit. to they be had pieces no chance. of shit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, this is the part I love is yeah. what makes this monster become, is it? This it, one might kind of disappoint you. Well, this one will. It might not because I, I really Maybe. like to be able to go into it and say, was it nurture or nature? Yeah. I really always look at the aspect of nurture versus nature in these childhoods. Yeah, for sure. Were they born that way or was it, was it molded through life? Yeah. Well, let's see what what you think about his childhood. So, Ronald Gene Simmons was born on July 15th, 1940, to Loretta and William Simmons in Chicago, Illinois. Chateau. Five months before Ronald's third birthday in 1943, his father died suddenly from a stroke. Like, he was young and healthy. He just had a stroke. It was one of those freak things. Yeah. And this left Loretta financially just lost. Oh, in 1940s? Yeah. yeah. Plus, you're in the middle of the end of the Depression with the war going on? Yeah. So, the whole family, Ronald and his mom, were financially completely dependent on William. So, Loretta, I believe, rushed. She really hurried to find someone who could financially support support her and her young son. She's pretty much desperate at that point. Yeah. She probably has no way of getting a job, no marketable skill and. World War II era. Yeah, economy. and she probably had been married since, you know, she was like, what, two? That's how early they got homemaker. married back then. Yeah, no shit. She's been a homemaker <laughs> the entire time. She wouldn't know where to start, but maybe not had anyone to take care of the kids with a newborn and stuff. You know what I mean? And she quickly remarried a man named William D. Griffin. So another William. She has a thing for Williams. She Ronald, likes the Willies. She likes the- <laughs> Yeah. What? I'm just saying, she does. Williams, and she likes the willies. <laughs> she does like the willies, Pat. So, Ronald's new stepfather was a civil engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The Corps moved Griffin and his new family to Little Rock, Arkansas in 1946, but this would be only the first of many moves for this constantly uprooted family. Oh, he's working for the, if, if he's. As you well know, Patrick. he's in the military, like not, even if he is just working for the Corps of Engineers, he's yeah. staying nowhere long. If you're new here, Patrick is an army veteran. And two, as you years, well, four max. as you well know, Pat, being in the armed forces, you and your family have to move quite a bit sometimes. Oh yeah. The oldest, she's, she was in what? Six elementary schools. She, she was, she. In five years. It was a lot on on the kids for sure and this is the case for this family for a 10-year period the family just couldn't settle because they were being moved so much 
And this is really hard on Ronald. As a result, Ronald was always the new kid in school, and he quickly began to show signs that this was taking a toll on him. I was about to say it really, it really yeah. affects their social skills. Yeah. And they tend to suffer from you know a lot of social anxieties and depression because they are literally always the new kid. Yeah. And the second they start getting close and making friends, they move, and then the kids actually stop trying to do that because it's too hard on them, so they just detach it's, themselves. It's a lot on the kid. There's, of course, great people that find ways around it, and they treat it you yeah, know, no, with kid gloves. But, you know, it can be hard on kids, for sure. Back, you know, We're not saying this is an today's excuse. Day, but today's days, they do try to manage it with some programs they have in the military. Mm-hmm. 1940s, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. No, for sure. They, they didn't. didn't care. They weren't worried about the family or Anything other than the, the soldiers. Well, I like to think that, Marine you know, Airmen. our children were military brats and they grew up well-rounded, you so know. Yeah, two of them were born on, a, on an army base. Yeah, for sure. And not killing 16 people in a weekend, so. Yeah, I mean, I was going to make a really bad joke. <laughs> I decided not to, so. Yeah, we'll, we'll just save that for later. <laughs> no, I don't want to save that for later. Okay. <laughs> so, this ended up really taking a toll on Ronald. Um, It's a lot of disruption in a young kid's life. And he just, to begin with, had zero social skills and no friends to speak of, regardless of the fact that he never remained in one city long enough to even make any friends. He didn't even have any social skills. It's going to be horrific on a kid. Like, if you don't have the social skills or if you're one of those awkwardly shy kids or those kids just can't make friends. Yeah. And then you throw in, like, you don't even have time to make friends. Yeah, that's that's just a bad It's a bad combo. So in every school that he attended, he garnered a reputation for being a troublemaker and a bully. And he was he was expelled from several schools, more that, than we could count. But psychologically, that makes sense because he, yeah. he can't make relationships, he can't form relationships, he can't make friends. So he's going to seek attention in whatever way Lashing he can. out. And the first time he gets attention for something. Even if it's negative. Negative, positive, it doesn't matter. The first attention he gets, he's going to cling to that. And mentally, that's going to be like, this is how I get attention. It's addictive. Yeah. So at the age of 16, he was expelled from his current high school for his violent outbursts. And his parents, they were really were trying to do their best with him. And um, they tried to deal with the situation the best they knew how, and they shipped him off to military school. And that was often the answer on how to deal with bad kids. Ship them off to the military school, you know, well, you don't and know let them figure it, you out. Figure it out. Let, let this program. Just- and this was also the 50s. So, yeah, Absolutely. So, oddly enough, Ronald thrived in this strict and structured environment. Yeah, he really thrived. He found that within that military structure, he was able to harness his naturally just aggressive nature and channel all that, I guess, energy Uh into meeting some constructive goals. I literally feel that on a personal level because when I joined the military, you know, my life was oh yeah, hectic, chaotic. I had no struggle. (laughs) I had anger issues. I wanted to fight everybody. Yeah, joining the military, like I got structure, which I never had in my life, and it gave me an outlet. Oh, absolutely! And you're one of those that just benefited from the structure of the military. Yeah, because I had none in my life. I didn't want any. Right, it had to be forced on me at that stage of my life. Right, so. Like you, he ended up doing, of course, he's not in the military yet, but he ended up doing really well. He did so well that when his stint at school came to an end, he immediately enlisted in the Navy and, for whatever reason, severed tied with his, ties with his family completely. I, I don't, I mean, we have no idea why. No, he probably resented all the moves. Maybe. He probably resented all that stuff, or maybe he just thought he was doing so well without him. He wanted to keep that. He didn't want to go back to them and sink back to the other side. You don't know. You never know. 
But either way, in the Navy, his first posting was at Bremerton Naval Base in Washington. And it was there that he met a young woman by the name of Rebecca Ulibari. And she was known as just Becky. So that's what we're going to call her. So Literally one of my best friends is from there. Really? Yeah. Cool. The two started to date. And at first, he was super charismatic and loving. No red flags to speak of. But it's always good at the beginning, right? Like, it's all butterflies and whatnot. However, once the pair moved in together, he started to slowly give her glimpses of his true self. But not to the point that it scared her off just yet. Although, we're going to wish it would have. Okay. Becky would find that her live-in lover was super controlling. And that is the understatement of the year. (laughs) He was extremely regimented. Military was you know, extended into his home life. life. Yeah, they overlapped. Now, although we can't find evidence that Ronald was physically abusive back then, um, living with him was pure hell for Becky. She literally could do nothing, quote, correctly. Uh, For example, I was reading, he constantly scolded her for leaving streaks on the dishes after she had spent a long time drying and polishing them. If Ronald found a streak on a dish, he would yell and scream at her. So he's not beating her yet. He's just a controlling asshole. He likes things done a certain way. And he's going to stand over you and freaking watch you do something. And if you met, like, he's going to bark orders at you. I'm sorry, but if you're barking orders over my shoulder while I'm drying the freaking dish, you can go Yeah, but you can already die. see the personality <laughs> trait. Types, oh, yeah, right? for he sure. He needs this structure and regiment. So when he's in the military, when he's in the school, he was the one on the other end of it. Yeah. So he was the receiving one of the barking and the orders and now he's the discipline. It. Now he's in a place where he's man, 1950s. Mm-hmm. He man, she woman. Mm-hmm. Him, him boss. So he's going to, Oh, he's going to be, you're going to see he's a textbook. Like in the dictionary, if you look up misogyny, there's a picture of him right next to the word. I I can already tell. I mean, for sure. So for example, even her appearance had to be under her, his control. Becky was a gorgeous young woman and she was known for like her long, dark hair. And she used to love putting in a ton of effort with her makeup and her clothing, her style. She just took, you know, care in her appearance. But according to Ronald, makeup was for the whores. So she was to remain barefaced and only wear button down shirts, just as well as keep her long hair tied back into a simple style. So he, he controlled her to that degree. Hmm. Yeah. I know some people like that. Yeah. Same. And it's awful. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And Ryan Green's Sorry, book, I fucking derailed you right there with that, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <My You're bad. laughs> I think we all have stories about people like that. <laughs> In Ryan Green's book, which I used a lot for research for this episode, um, he's he is my literary crush, by I'm the about way. To say, you, I you literally love use him for everything. Ryan Green. <laughs> Um, in his book, Obeying Evil, which I use quite a bit for this Ooh, episode, he he said, and I quote, uh, he put it so well. He said, he stripped her of her carefully crafted appearance and broke her da- her confidence down in herself with a steady grind of corrections and complaints until she was convinced that she could do nothing on her own and had to rely on him for everything. And that's a beautiful way of putting it. It is. And what's sad to see is I, I see that military side of that right because the entire thing about basic training in the first nine weeks or the first whatever weeks you're in the military is designed to break you down to the core 
Yeah. The fundamental difference is once they break you down, they build you back up. Yeah. He broke her down. He just went stuff. kept her broken down. She, he didn't build her back up. He just broke her down. Just just wait till you see the missed, lengths this monster goes to he, to break. Well, he missed the entire point of the oh, military Oh, yeah. No, style. he misses it. For, you know, because breaking you down is to build you back up in a certain way, not to just demolish you. He's just a piece of shit that demolished her. He is. He is. He hates women. I mean, this that's going to be very apparent. And, and that's, that's because what, his mom married and had to move around, I guess. Yeah, and even, I mean, to your point, my next note on here, and that's what abusers do. They beat you down until you have zero self-worth left. And it's it's a long game for them. But let's be honest, Ronald was just an insecure prick, and he didn't want anyone else finding his woman attractive. No, he didn't want to be challenged. Yeah. but He's a beta male. But he had just enough charm and charisma to keep her you know, around despite his red flags peeking through. So they remained together until he was reassigned to New Mexico, redeployed to New Mexico, and she followed him. They weren't married yet. But that was another level of, okay, we're committed. Now you're moving with me. Yeah. A lot of times in those, those situations, you know, you see the red flags looking back, mm -hmm. living it. You might see it here and there, but by the time you realize how bad it is, it's too late. Yeah. You're stuck. Yeah. And Whether mentally, emotionally, or you just don't know if you can get out of it. You're so far into it. And I think a lot of these abusers too, they want to make sure that you're extra stuck and you'll see what I mean. Here. And that's why it takes so long. They can't, you can't do that. It's a long part. game. Yeah. yeah. It's not a short game. You no. can't be like, Oh, I'm all of a sudden domination. And you're like, no, dude, no, you're I'm not. not. <laughs> this is not cool. I'm out. This is no, you're not. months and years of slowly getting to that point. Yeah. And when you're finally there. You're like, well, I love him. I've been here or her. I've been here. For three years with this person, mm-hmm. how do I leave? And everyone's like, how the fuck do you stay at that point? Yeah. But you don't see it that way because it's been such a long, slow, agonizing Until you change. have so much to lose by leaving that it's a you have, more to, you have more to lose by leaving mm-hmm. in your mind than you do for staying. So in New Mexico, he was redeployed to New Mexico and Becky followed. Uh, Ronald and Becky married and he forced her to sever ties with her whole family. Well, he did. Why shouldn't she? So I think that now... Kind of the jig is up, and he has her all to himself on an island, you know, with no one around to interfere. To your st- perfect your t- stereo, your typical abuser, isolate, right? You he's still isolate. not. He's still not done though. Oh, of course not. But Becky's every minute of every day was a ritual of trying to please this worm. And after just one year of marriage, Becky found herself pregnant. And she birthed their first child, a boy named Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Of course, he would name his son right after him. He's one of those, I am boss. He's going to get you, of course. Well, yeah. He later went by Gene, probably because he didn't want his father's name. No offense to all the good Ronalds out there. <laughs> but, well, no, he's um, a junior and his dad is a, a mass murderer. He yeah. doesn't want to go by the same name. Yeah. Understandable. But Ronald Sr., as you can imagine, was... Far from a loving and doting father. He just didn't have the capability. He didn't love anybody. He loved himself. Maybe. Ronald then left the Navy. He was discharged. And without the discipline and order of serving for a military branch, his abusive behavior was said to have escalated tenfold. He didn't have that structure. Did it say why he got out or it was his time to stop? No, he just stopped because we're going to see that he switched branches. 
which I was going to ask you about. You'll you'll okay. see here. Uh, yeah, okay. No, no, never But mind. I think never he mind. just wanted to change jobs or maybe got another Wait, no. opportunity. If there's more to it, then we're good. I was just Yeah, no, there's more to it. He did, no, he wasn't like dishonorably okay. discharged. His term, basically, yeah. his contract was up, whatever. Uh, yeah, he was, yeah, whatever. But he was discharged. Yeah, no, I would no. say honorably. We'll assume that. But no, go ahead. We'll, we'll get to more later. If but he would literally stand over Becky as she completed her daily chores just as, you know, he had done for years. But now kind of all the... Yeah, now he's home all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It just got worse. It was literal hell. At least she got a reprieve when he was at work. He wouldn't even let her give, get her driver's license. Remember, she married him when she was only 19. So she had never driven. She had never had a job. She was literally dependent on him even to go anywhere. So it was just utter hell. Bremerton is not exactly a big city. Yeah. So during that two-year period of not working, the couple would have a second child, a girl named Sheila Marie Simmons, who instantly became her father's pride and joy. Like, all of a sudden, he can love. <laughs> In fact, it was said that once Sheila was born, this was the first time that us- this usually heartless man ever showed someone any kind of love and affection. As, as, a, as a guy and a dad? Daughter hits different, man. I mean, I love my son, mm-hmm. but daughters do something different to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, do not align yourself with that statement, right? I'm not just aligning yet. yourself <gasps> to the, what happens. I'm just saying. I'm just a are, foreboding. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm saying if, if you're just sitting here saying people saw a change in him when his daughter was born, I can oh, tell yeah. you, no matter what kind of man you are, for the most part, a daughter has a different effect than a son. That just hits you differently. So I'm sure. What I'm about to say next was a huge relief for Becky. Ronald signed up with the Air Force two years after leaving the Navy. So at least she could spend her days in a little bit of peace before he got home, I guess, you know. Over the next five years, Becky and Ronald would have five more children together. So seven total. So far they have Ronald, Jean Jr., and Sheila. And then they had William, Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Rebecca Lynn. So they named the youngest one after Becky. After Mama. That's a lot of kids. That's seven kids. I truly believe that he kept Becky pregnant to keep her completely dependent on him. In his mind, it's a great way to guarantee she didn't leave. She can't leave. She's not going to be able to get a job. She's got too many other... Yeah. And in case you're wondering if his domination stopped with Becky, no, it did not. Those kids were his literal workhorses, and he didn't just give kids, like, the menial jobs, like the normal chores like we give our kids, um, like taking out the trash or not. He gave them, like, back-breaking hard labor. Okay. Um, it's a work camp. Yeah. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. It doesn't okay. come into play, so just hang on to that thought. But his goal in keeping everyone with such a regimented schedule was to make sure that no one had a social life, therefore keeping visitors and nosy neighbors out of his area of control, which was his home. Isolation. Isolation. So what was Ronald trying to hide? Because it is odd, right? It is odd, but it's not because that isolation tactic is true to so many abusers. They try to isolate so no one can help you. No one can say, hey, that shit's fucked up. No one can intervene in their shit. Well, remember I said from the first time his daughter Sheila was born that she was the apple of his eye. Right. By the time Sheila was 13, it was very apparent Mm -hmm. that he favored her even more. Mm -hmm. 
He would bark orders and grumble at the rest of the kids and his wife, but he was gentle with Sheila and often spent alone time with her. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. He was even affectionate, which was not him. (laughs) And so much so that it literally sickened the rest of the family, aside from the Simmon kids, who were just unfortunately used to seeing this disgusting behavior. One instance that the family noted later on is as follows. So when Sheila was about 15, Ronald took his wife and kids to visit his wife's sister for Christmas, which this was very rare in and of itself. It had probably been, what, almost 20 years since she had seen her own family. So during the visit, Becky's sister was visibly uncomfortable due to the fact that Ronald demanded Becky sit on his lap the whole time, and they kissed on the mouth. Now, remember, Ronald's not affectionate, and his daughter's 15. We're not talking about a toddler. No, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's really gross. However, this type of behavior, lack of morale and impulse control, was about to amp up even more so. We all know by now that Ronald is his best self, which is still shitty, when he's working and has a regimented schedule, well, he decided to retire. It may surprise you to know that for 22 years that he served in the U.S. military, he was actually an exemplary officer. He retired with the rank of Master Sergeant in 1979. He even had earned himself a Bronze Star, the Republic of Vietnam Cross, and the Air Force Ribbon, along with numerous other awards for Markmanship, and that's a bit foreboding. Yeah, but I, I, I have known a lot of fucking shit bags that made it through the army. Yeah, you can, you can fake the funk. Yeah, as long as you don't get in trouble off off duty, mm-hmm. you can fake it. Yeah. So it actually shocked me to learn that he was <laughs> this successful, but it's a different. It's not I don't shocking know why. to me at all because the. The environment he's in is conducive to his behavior. And then you factor in he's got Vietnam and stuff like that. So he's, he's decorated because he went to war. Yeah. I'm fucking decorated because I went to war. All of my friends are. Yeah. You go there, you get decorated for shit you do. I mean, this is what happens. Yeah. And it doesn't you're, mean you're a good person. It doesn't mean you a good, you're a good person. You could be an honest to God killer. Mm-hmm. And you go to a place like Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You're in like your world. Yeah. Like you're, oh, I can kill people here? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh God, yeah. So if he was already having those tendencies or anything, he would thrive in an environment like that. Like, yeah, where it's perfectly legal where to go and kill a bunch like, of people. Or even if it's not yeah. killing, violence is normal. He's getting rewarded for his violence. And he, exactly. He's getting yeah. rewarded. He, oh, you're getting promoted. Oh, you're getting awards. Oh, you're such an exemplary, you know, airman because you're in the Air Force. You're so good at combat, and you're, he's, his mind's like, violence I'm good at, and I'm getting accolades for it. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so I'm going to do it at I home. a lot of people like that. It's really gross. <laughs> that's, that's I no, hate that. But that's the purpose of the military, is violence. And if you're good at it, you get rewarded for it. Yeah. Wow. As long as it's controlled violence. So after his retirement in 1979, the family rented a home in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, And it was here that things just went from horrible to horrendous. (laughs) We know the following from letters written that were later found. Um, These were letters written by Becky, so his wife. On one occasion, Ronald allowed his wife to leave the house, sort of. 
he offered to take her to the grocery store to do some grocery shopping. And this, like, thrilled the poor lady. She's like, holy fuck, I haven't been out of the house in 20 years. she was so excited. Uh, To Becky, this was unheard of. So Becky went to meet him in his truck outside their house. And to her surprise, her daughter, Sheila, was in the front seat next to her dad. And they were looking almost like a couple. He mentioned, he motioned for his wife to get in the back seat, and um, she rode to the store in the back seat like she was the child, like up front, why the, the two up front like held hands and stuff. When they arrived at the store, he told his wife to get out and do the shopping, leaving him and Sheila alone in the car. As she walked into the store, she turned back to see Ronald kissing his teenage daughter. I know. And at this age, like Sheila, she eventually wises up, but she, she, she was so groomed and so brainwashed by this monster. Yeah. 100%. It's just been doing this since she was so little. sad. So it's safe to say that he wanted to get Sheila uh, out of the house away from her brothers and sisters to assault her. Like, I think that's what he did, you know, and he just rubbed it in his wife's face because what is she going to do? You know, nothing. nothing because he has everybody so terrified of him. And he's also rewarding her by letting her actually go to the store. It's so. awful. So what happened next was no surprise. So Sheila was around 17 at this time. I keep saying so. I hate that I always say so. I'm co- more cognizant of it because I listen back to myself sometimes. I take a lot of melt. <laughs> I do take a lot of melt. Ronald called a family meeting. <laughs> it's never good, right? <laughs> So Ronald, he was like, okay, everybody come to the living room. We need to chat. So he sat everyone down and basically said, look, I'm in love and sleeping with Sheila, your sister, my daughter. And she's pregnant with our child. Fucking knew it. And we're going to raise it as part of this family. Fucking knew it. So 17-year-old Sheila is pregnant with her father's child. Now, as disgusted and ashamed as the rest of the family was at this, they are all so beaten down to the point that they feel as though they had absolutely no choice but to accept this. And the kids are just like, this is normal. Well, they, first of all, there's only one kid that's even 18 at this point. Yeah. Sheila's the second oldest. She's 17. Right. Everyone else is like 15 or younger. So what yeah. the fuck are they going to do? Exactly. They don't know their family. They've never seen them more than twice. However, there was one member of the Simmons family who was like, this is utter bullshit. I have to do something. And that's Gene, the oldest boy. That's the only person that can do anything in the situation. So Gene, or Ronald Gene Jr., went to a school counselor and reported Sheila's pregnancy anonymously and said that their dad was the father, which good for him. Good. I mean, that's all he probably could do because he was still probably terrified of his fucking dad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that guidance counselor met with Sheila several times before Sheila finally divulged that the father of the child may, may be her dad. Who else could it be? Yeah. As a result, an investigation was launched and criminal charges were filed almost immediately against Ronald Jean Simmons. However, Sheila absolutely refused to testify against him in any sort of way. It was no doubt out of fear of repercussions. It's fear of repercussions. I'm sure there's a level of embarrassment at this point there. Yeah. It's public now. Like, you know what I mean? It's not just her talking to a guidance counselor or a family member. Because the, the whole town's in on this. Oh, it's, an, it's a level of embarrassment. 
And of you course, know, there's and, fear, but the embarrassment too is that's a huge thing for a 17, 18 year old. And then, girl. too, you see other people's reaction as a 17 year old girl, and you're like, oh God, I feel, you know, they're horrified, and you're like, and well, I at, feel bad and now. And so many of them are looking at her like, yeah, obviously her dad's the predator here, but a lot of them are looking at her like, you let this fucking happen? Like, it's her choice. Yeah, and it's like, dude, I'm a kid. This has been happening since I was but Yeah, 12. exactly. You don't understand. Or this is, this didn't happen last week. This yeah. has been happening since I was like nine. Well, you would think during this time that Ronald Gene Simmons would be sucking up to his child, Sheila, because at this point, his fate is quite literally in mm-hmm. her hands, yeah, yeah. but no. Well, he's a dick. A letter was later discovered that Ronald had written to Sheila during this time, and it said, quote, you have destroyed me and you have destroyed my trust in you. I will see you in hell. So there's that. <laughs> cool. So I've been your favorite for years because you wanted to fuck me. Um Oh, don't say that. Oh, I mean, it, it's, it's so rough. But it is rough, and I don't mean to be crass with it, but it truly, and that's, what do you want him to say? He, he, you, you've acted like you loved me? No, that's that makes it, like, sympathetic in some way. It's not. It's disgusting. It has to be rude and crushed, because that's what it was. It's disgusting. It's awful. It just, this whole, this whole part just makes my skin crawl. So it was during this time that, we learn that Becky made the first, so his wife made the first of many attempts to leave her husband. Good for her. At least she's trying. However, it was said that the public spectacle that he had made out of their family was way too much for her to bear on her own. And she was also beyond fearful that he would find her and not only make her pay, but make the children pay as well. Look and she knew he would. And he just doesn't give a fuck. He will do whatever, you know? <sighs> Because, and I wanted to make sure that I made that clear, just because we always hear people, the bitches say, well, why didn't they just leave their abuser? But sometimes it's not that straightforward, guys. It's just not it's that not. straightforward. And then you go into this whole situation, <laughs> she this has whole five freaking kids seven. to take, seven, but five, if you're counting, not Sheila. Or the oldest one. Or the oldest, who were technically adults. She has a lot of kids. But then kids you throw into this whole of. circus of now, this not very big town. Yeah. And he has knocked up his daughter mm-hmm. and he's in jail mm-hmm. There's criminal proceedings. And the whole town's looking at their like incestual relationship. That's a lot more than just he's abused me. It's time to go. That's a that's lot a on lot. a woman. And then I'm sure people would point the finger at her. And oh, I'm sure she took you the blame. Knew. Like, you weren't taking care. And this is the 60s. So 70s. So it's like, yeah. oh, you weren't taking care. You weren't satisfying your husband. It's your fault. He turned to your daughter. Oh, Who my God. what the fuck Disgusting. people were saying. You know what I'm saying? But you know that's a yeah. logical thing people were saying behind their backs. Unfortunately, bats. you're not wrong. I would love to say that Ronald Gene Simmons was arrested for rape and incest. However, that's not the case. <laughs> and, it, and it's that, not just because mm. Sheila is actively stonewalling the investigation. Ronald Gene Simmons was always one to be in control. He went ahead and uprooted his family and fled the state, abandoning their rented home and just simply vanishing. And remember, this is the 1980s. So you could simply leave the state and move to another without detection. States didn't talk back then. Not only that, it's not like you could sign a rental agreement and they would check your rental history three states over. So Ronald Gene Simmons has now regained 100% of control of his family and their lives again. And so, that pisses me off because if they just wrong? fucking arrested him when they had enough to do it, he probably would not have murdered 16 people. Yep. He'd have been in jail. Well, 
didn't work out that way. As, no, it didn't. As it, it usually doesn't. Every story doesn't. we tell on here doesn't work out that way, and that's what's so fucking frustrating. And I can't say that we've made much progress <laughs> from this point, and to be honest. I don't know the details. Obviously, I wasn't in the investigations. I wasn't part of all that. Well, he was, he was indicted, and, but I think because she was refusing to testify and admit that he was the father to anyone other than the counselor. The counselor. But that is usually enough. And why is there no fucking protective order put in place? Well, I'm sure she was separate because remember there were letters between him and her. I couldn't find anything that said she was put into foster care. She wouldn't be put into foster care. She was above the legal age of consent. So there's not. Protective orders are very. She probably didn't demand one or she probably didn't ask for one or request one. Because you would think if there was a protective order in place, he couldn't have gone back to the house. He couldn't have gone back around them. Yeah. I mean, he would have. I don't think anybody had the balls I don't, I'm just, to I'm, cross I'm not, him. I don't know the details on that. Obviously, you do all the research and you may not know and they may not talk about those things. I, mm-hmm. I question those things just from my law enforcement background and my own brain. Yeah. Like, I, I would assume nothing, I couldn't like, oh, find indicted, anything. Just go back home to the fucking people. I couldn't find anything to suggest culture. that, you know, she was maybe in a group home or something like that, just a pending investigation It's because she must have been somewhere separated from him because there were letters. No, he was probably in County. So who or, or the city jail held maybe. Yeah. He was, he was they can hold you for up to the 30 days. Well, yeah, because in 1981 fearing arrest after being indicted on three counts of incest, Ronald Gene Simmons fled New Mexico and moved his family to Arkansas, including Sheila. So Sheila, Pregnant Sheila. Sheila was probably was with at home them. with all the kids and, and Becky, and they were all together, and he just showed up one day because they let him out of jail. Let's go. Yeah. And he was like, fuck, we're out of here because I'm not going Pack to Pack your bags. That's what, pisses, that's what I'm talking about. That's what pisses me off. How is he allowed mm-hmm. to do that? Yeah, I know. I, I, How the fuck was he allowed to do that? I ask that all the time. And I can't, and that's what I was saying. I can't imagine, or I don't really feel like a lot's changed that part. I know that they would be able to find him now if he went to another state because he kept his name and didn't change his name. They'd be able to find him, but that he wouldn't be arrested right away by any means, you know? Yes and no, because depending on where you are and what the police resources are have, if he got arrested for that stuff mm-hmm. and there was something in place saying like no protective, depending on how well you know the case and the area and the families and stuff and how small town of it is, they might just stick a cop car in the area. And if they see him roll up, it's going to be like, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Well, he picked Arkansas for no particular reason other than at one point early in his career, he had been stationed there. So he was somewhat familiar. There was literally, it was random. That's also no reason. That where the Army Corps engineer guy was when his, he was a kid. His stepdad. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't it Little Rock? And he was also stationed there as well. Okay. So it was no reason. Maybe he just liked it, you know? Or he knew how Arkansas remote. It was compared to, like, no one goes to Arkansas. Yeah, maybe. No offense to Arkansas. No one's just like, hey, I can't wait to go there. <laughs> well, I've never been. I'd love to go. Don't listen again, to Patrick. <laughs> again, there's no, nothing, nothing wrong with Arkansas. No insults. I'm it, just but kidding. No one sits I'm here kidding. and says, I can't wait to go on vacation this year and go to fucking Arkansas unless they have family there. Well, unfortunately, because the state of New Mexico couldn't locate Simmons, his charges, his three counts of incest charges were eventually dropped after three years, I believe. If he stays not, out of trouble, they're it's dropped. It's not even that. I think it's because they couldn't find her. Without her, there's no charge. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He wasn't Without a victim, there's located. no... You can't charge... Like, we've talked about it so many times on like murders when they can't find a body. You can't charge someone if there's no victim. Yeah. So, if he's gone and she's gone... Yeah. 
Both so of the them victim and the subject are both gone. No one can find them. They may, they might just want to close it and say, oh, well, I'll get rid of it because, fuck, it's just open. It's just sitting here. Maybe. So it was here in Arkansas that Sheila, at some point, I couldn't find the exact date, but she gave birth to a little girl, and she named her Sylvia Gale. I just thought of this, too. It also, depending on the state, I don't know the state laws back then, statute of limitations could have come into play. Mm-hmm. Statute of limitations being after X amount of time, you can't be charged for this crime anymore. Yeah. So it, it may have been three years for whatever they had him charged with. Nothing happened, so they just closed it because the yeah, statute of limitations was gone. So she had a little girl named okay. Sylvia Gale. And for two years, the, this uh, Simmons family lived in Ward, Arkansas, where they went practically unnoticed, uh, living a hermetic lifestyle. And during this time, the children didn't even, his school-age children didn't even attend school. They Homeschool? weren't allowed. Or just not even? They just didn't go to school. Okay. Uh, in fact, it is unknown if Ronald even worked during this time. If he did, it would have just been doing odd jobs, receiving money under the table to keep food on the table because he wanted to go again unnoticed. The family would rent a house for a while. And then when rent was due, Ronald would just pack up his family and relocate. They wouldn't even pay rent. Yeah. Cause he's not working. Finally in 83, the Simmons family settled into what would be their permanent home about 15 miles outside of Dover, Arkansas onto a piece of land known as Mockingbird Hill. Okay. Now, this name, Mockingbird Hill, sounds a lot more fancy than their property actually was. It sounds kind of like fun and like, I don't, I don't know. Fanciful? Like, I don't know if I say fancy, but it sounds like really like fun and like lodgy or like yeah. a nice mountainy retreat type place. So essentially, you'll laugh at this. Essentially, Ronald Simmons would weld two trailer homes together. It's kind of gangster, actually. For a, for a big house. And then parked their new home in an abandoned lot that was located up a long dirt road lined with no trespassing signs. First of all, your questions. Did he, did he weld it like lengthwise? Um, I can show you a few, the few pictures that I could okay. find and you can't really tell. Second, second, when, when you were talking about how he welded them together, why were you making hand gestures like you were tying a knot? Cause it's, Is that how you weld? That's how you weld. That's how, okay. I just, I just, I wish I could show you all on video Courtney's hands. Like she's, like spooling string or something. And she's like, and he welded it. That's how you weld. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> okay, baby. <laughs> well, after the Simmons arrived, they made the place into just a big, I hate to say it, but it was like a trash heap with barbed wire everywhere and numerous old abandoned junk cars. Maybe they were there before. I don't know. Like car parts everywhere. Now, earlier I mentioned that Ronald's abuse, abusive nature, most definitely extended to the children outside of Sheila. Right. And I mentioned that they were workhorses, those kids were. Well, to give you an idea of how controlling uh, or how controlled and abused these kids were, let me tell you about the state of things inside the Simmons home on Mockingbird Hill because it's literally a living nightmare. <laughs> Ronald for sure didn't want his kids to have friends coming over. And or have any inside outside visitors at all, for that matter. Remember, he's technically on the run from the law. So he had kid uh, all of his kids haul cinder blocks to effectively build a fortress wall around their home. So he turned this whole place into a compound <laughs> fortress wall. Yeah, and this included hey, this included his daughter Sheila's daughter, um, Sylvia. If, oh, that's confusing. Like, I get it. Yeah. If they could walk, they could work. That was his motto. Like, if you can 
fucking walk, you can work. So there were numerous times, of course, that the children would drop heavy concrete blocks on their feet, badly injure themselves. However, each child was conditioned never to cry in fear of upsetting their father. So anybody, if anybody was hurt or sick, you don't cry. You don't scream out in pain. You know better. You know better. It's literally literally like a labor camp. He found crying to be a sign of weakness. In fact, the the family had a pet dog that remained, of course, tied up outside for the majority of the time. And the dog didn't even bark. Probably got its ass whipped every time it barked. Like the dog even knew better. Because it probably got the shit beat out of him every time it did bark when it was younger. So it's fair to say that these kids and animals and wives, everybody, they were most likely beaten or God knows what else if they ever got out of line in any way. They were literally all living under a dictatorship. Also, I wanted to add that the Simmons home did not have a bathroom or running water. Off the grid. (laughs) Yeah. So every day, get this. Carried buckets of water from the well. The The children had to wake up early and go dig holes, like map out, like where's a good place to dig the hole for the day. And that would be their bathroom mm-hmm. for however long it would take. Which, and then these which, holes would be filled up with kerosene and then covered back up with dirt when full or tarps. And I was, I was kind of chiming in there. There is a field manual in the military, in the army we call it. Oh, is manuals. that a military thing? There is how to set up basically bathrooms. Feels, it's called field sanitation. Mm-hmm. So there's there's guidelines on how you set up that. I'm sure he taught them that. That's where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. There's guidelines like, you know, you go down water, downwind, down certain ways, certain amount of yardage. Certain, mm-hmm. That's why the map comes into play in my head. He taught them and mapped out where to go in the area to basically dig shitters. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain way to deal with them so that it doesn't. Don't you just want to punch them in the dick right now? No, I just want to kill them. I want to punch him in the dick right now and then kill him. But no, I just want to kill him. So it's hard to believe, but as busy as these poor <laughs> kids. It sounded horrible. I'm just like, no, I just want to kill him. I think that he deserves it. It's yeah, horrible. I guess you're right. When you're doing this to the kids and the family this long, you deserve it. As busy as these poor kids were from dusk till dawn, Ronald made certain that his children had perfect attendance at school. Now, now they were allowed to go to school. Not because he cared about their studies. But because he didn't want to raise any suspicion. No, he's keeping he's yeah. keeping up with what they're supposed to be or doing. Or draw any undue attention to the family. Yep, just new kids. They're coming in here looking like they had their ass beat every day. So to be clear, the kids that were of school age were finally back in school. And they probably saw, like, like most of our kids, you know this, they're like, fuck, I gotta go to school. These kids were like, oh my God, I get to go to school. I know, they're probably oh, so for excited for school the Fucking next algebra. day. Hell yeah. Oh <laughs> God, it's so sad. However, it remained a strict rule that the kids didn't socialize, and they certainly weren't allowed to bring friends over. Like, no way. <laughs> what would happen to their friends if they did? Yeah. So, as you can see, things were fairly busy on Mockingbird Hill. However, Ronald was running into a bit of an issue. No money? Yeah. See, when he moved his... I bet you didn't think of this one. When he moved his family and fled New Mexico... He lost his pension in doing so. He couldn't collect his money now because he couldn't give yeah, I mean, yeah, the address. This is not the days of 2021 where they electronically Direct deposit by VA benefits. Yeah. No, they, they mail you a damn check. So he's probably got a mailbox full of pension checks. So he had no choice but to go back to work. In the small town of Dover, 
A job wasn't exactly the easiest thing to come by, so he was forced to travel 30 minutes to Russellville, Arkansas to find a job. He secured himself a job as a clerk in a law office, and it was the (laughs) lowest paying job he had ever had by any means. Military pays pretty decently. Now, mind you, Ronald had never had to work a civilian job in all of his life. He had zero idea of how to interact with the public, like with with civilians. And he definitely didn't take kindly to people giving him orders who he felt had no business doing so. No, he's ex-military. If if you're not outranking me in the military structure. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Although his work was diligent, he was, as you can imagine, a nightmare to work with. Not only was he argumentative, but he was also a perv. And probably just a dick. <laughs> He's a misogynist. <laughs> At the law office was uh, a receptionist named Kathy Kendricks. Well, Ronald was obsessed with her. He constantly made sexual advances towards her, and he even went as far as to stalking her. Well, yeah. He's not right in the head, so yeah. It got to the point that she had just had enough and she reported his behavior and he was fired for sexual harassment in the 80s. So if he was fired in the 80s. Holy shit. I was about to to comment in the 80s. No one gives a shit about sexual harassment. (laughs) You know it's bad. You can probably guess that this infuriated him and he's already bitter, right? He was fired from a job that was beneath him in the first place. All because of a woman. All because of a fucking woman. If you haven't guessed yet, Ronald just absolutely hates women. There's just no better way of saying it. Like, he just hates women. Women are far beneath him, and they serve only as outlets for his desire. And they need to keep their mouth shut and do what they're told. Man, it sounds like so many people we've covered on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Disgusting. It took Ronald another few weeks to find a new job, but he did. And this time working at Taylor Oil Company, also in Russellville. However, he wouldn't hold this position for very long. He was again let go for his behavior towards the women working with him. <laughs> and, and the thing is going to, people are probably He's like, not how? learning. <laughs> no, but the thing is people are probably like, how the fuck does this dude keep getting jobs? He has his military paperwork. That says he did 20 years plus years in the military and was honorably discharged. That goes a long way for character. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, maybe the last job I was fired from this, but it was a misunderstanding. Look, I served 20 plus years in the military. I'm a good guy. It's a shame that, like, the background checks don't, back then, didn't, you know, cross state lines. Yeah. The other thing is, too, back then, it's not like they could look up why he was fired. He could never yeah. even just, he would might not even list his last job. They'd be oh, none, no. not, they'd be they, none the wiser. They knew because it wasn't like a huge city. They knew, but he was charming enough. Charming and enough. Like I said, he's got that 20 had, veteran. Yeah, he was this, decorated. And he's a, he's, he's a honorably retired military member. So yeah. it could be a misunderstanding. It could be whatever. You could play it off after one or two times. Wouldn't you know it, the same damn thing would happen at his next job. He was hired at the Woodline Motor Frank Company and was made to work under a lady named Joyce Elaine Butts. To say that the two didn't get along is quite the understatement. Did they butt heads? Very good, Patrick. Wow. I thought it was pretty good. It was, it was good. Okay. I'll give you that. It made me... It didn't make me... I thought it made you angry at me. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> 
But he refused to do anything she asked him to because she was... Because woman. Woman. In Ronald's very twisted mind, he was certain that he kept getting let go from these positions for one reason and one reason only, and that was Kathy Kendrick's. The legal clerk who, or the receptionist who first reported him for sexual harassment, he was sure that she was conspiring in this small little city to, you know, make his life miserable and make nobody want to keep him on. I half thought he was going to (laughs) be, she was in love with him and was doing this. No, she's conspiring against him. The whole world is against him. So. Paranoid delusion too much? Just a tad. So he seemed to wise up a little bit. Because he started to only apply to work at jobs where he would be working under men. (laughs) Who's my boss? (laughs) I am. Okay, sir. And he found one at a convenience store working alongside another military veteran named Bill Mason. Oh, he's in heaven there. Yeah. So although the pay wasn't great and the hours were long, Ronald seemed to do a lot better here. He had... A fair amount of respect for Bill, as much as he could for there's, another there's one person. Human being he can socialize or uh, not socialize, but exist with, exist or <laughs> equate or, or yeah. What's the, you know the word I'm looking for? Just could get along with because of the military. Yeah, there's something that he could, he could connect with. Connect, yeah, on a very superficial wow, my level. Brain doesn't work. It's okay. It happens. But with Ronald gone so often, something was happening at home that was about to shake his world up. His children were getting somewhat of a social life now, Uh now that they were not under the constant surveillance of their domineering father. Gene, the oldest Simmons son, was now married with a family of his own. He got out as soon as he could. Like, he couldn't get out fast enough. He turned 18 and he was like, You feel bad, right? Because you can't. People are gonna people are gonna look at that and be like, why did he get out by himself? But in that situation, it's kill or be killed. Yeah. Like it's you have to get the fuck out and get yourself stable so you can go help the rest of them. As did their other young adult son, Billy. William. Yeah, the dudes are like, fuck yeah. this guy. So he was the second old after Sheila was William. Well, Sheila's not gonna leave because her daughter's his daughter. Yeah. So however, Sheila was still living at the Simmons home along with her daughter, Sylvia, who was fathered by father. <laughs> right. And the women are probably much less apt to leave just because of the times and skill sets and they're they're more abused and the men are just like, fuck you, what are you going to do? Well, get this shit, Pat. You're going to die. So I'm one day... Die. I don't want to die! <laughs> so one day when Ronald returned home from working at the convenience store, he was surprised to find a young man sitting in the living room chatting and laughing with his family. Oh, fuck. Yeah. The young man introduced himself as Dennis McNulty. Dennis informed Ronald that he was there to announce that he and Sheila were going oh, to be married fuck. and he wanted to raise little Sylvia as his own. Oh, shit. He said, look, I'm not asking your permission. <laughs> yeah. This motherfucker is happening and I'm about to die. I'm not asking your permission. I'm just letting you know that I know everything, everything. And I love your daughter and I know what you've been doing to her all these years I know that Sylvia is your child, and they're going to come and live with me. That's a ballsy (laughs) motherfucker. He's a fucking hero is what he is. he's ballsy as shit. It gets better. It gets better. So Ronald told Dennis that there was no way in hell that he was going to let Sheila and Sylvia walk out that door with him. And you know what Dennis said? Stop me. Too late. 
already moved him into my apartment. <laughs> they weren't there? They weren't there. He's a badass. Go, Dennis. Oh, that's awesome. You're my hero. <laughs> like, I was so silent there because my mouth was actually literally dropped. My jaw dropped. Like, holy shit. Damn, Dennis. Like, well played, <laughs> sir. Well fucking played. Before Dennis left, he said, and I quote, well, from what I think he said, basically, if Wait, you, so is it a quote or are you just hoping this is what he said? Well, this is from letters and I loosely quoted oh, it. Okay. So, well, he did say, if you ever come near Sheila or Sylvia again, I will kill you. And and I think Ronald actually believed figured it. that he meant it because Ronald, I mean, he what's he going to do? You know, something about a country boy saying, <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you if you ever come around him again. He I'm, it. I'm surprised that Ronald didn't explode and kill him right then and there. But I really think that he's one of those guys and, and I hate to say it, but I've met those men. They're real big, real tough around women. Yeah. I was about to say, this is the first time he's been challenged. When a man stands up to a real man, he's a beta male, a real man stands up to them. They're like, I peed myself. Yeah, no, 100%. (laughs) Like he portrays himself as his alpha dog around women. But when, yeah. a, when a, like to your point, when a real man steps up with the real intent saying, fucking fuck around or find out, mm-hmm. like, you know, I say it all the time, like fuck around and find out. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not fucking around. Yeah. I don't want to find out. Yeah. He's he only, he only fucks around with women because he, he views he us, control. he views us as the weaker. Well, so. he, he views you as just second class or third class or not even on his level or whatever it is. Yeah. But when he actually hasn't been challenged to this point outside of the military. Well, there you go. No one, stuck, just got no one stood up and was like, fuck you. Don't do it. My God, Dennis is a badass. I love and this Dennis. this dude does it. He's like, yes, sir. Can we make t-shirts that say, damn, Dennis? Damn, damn Dennis. Dennis. <laughs> and on the back, it says, what's his first name? Hmm? Oh, Ronald? Ron- Ronald's my bitch. <laughs> Ronald's a bitch. No, my bitch. Oh. Dennis. Oh. In quotes. I gotcha. Like, I want Dennis to say, Ronald's my bitch. <laughs> I feel like that's necessary. I like it. Well, I'm like I said, I'm honestly surprised Ronald didn't explode and kill him, but kind of not really. But Ronald had something bigger, much bigger up his sleeve. Gee, what could that be? And we will find out after this quick ad break. Dennis McNulty swooped in and rescued Sheila and little Sylvia from the grips of Ronald Simmons. And he is literally our hero. <laughs> Legit. We were just talking about that. Damn Dennis. During the break. Yeah, for sure. I just, I just couldn't imagine, you know, me being a combat vet. And I've many of my friends and, and Courtney's dad's a combat vet. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine. We were just talking about like someone coming up to one of us and being like, you fucking do that again. I'll fucking kill you. But y'all are also not misogynistic. No, Perbs. no, 100%. You know what I mean? But just the fact that someone challenging me like that, I wouldn't be like... It's pretty ballsy. I wouldn't be like, okay. Yeah. First of all, it's ballsy to challenge a combat vet of that, especially a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know how they're going to react. Yeah. Two, it's just... That takes it's going to trigger some shell shock. <laughs> well, that for takes sure. some serious cojones. Yeah. And three, me, I'd be like... I, you want to fuck? Okay, we're fuck. We're finding out then. We're past fuck around. We're right? find out. Okay, yeah, yeah. You. No, this guy, he definitely had the gonads and... I mean, I 
Hey, kudos. We legitimately have already used three terms for balls in 30 seconds. Thank you. That's what we do here at the Pudding Pod. So many would argue that Sheila was the only person that Ronald Gene Simmons ever came close to loving. And I use that term very loosely. I don't think he's capable of it. So So it will come as no surprise that things got really bad after she left. (laughs) She's probably the only thing that, like you said, didn't really love, but brought him more human like qualities about out of him. For weeks, Ronald, after this, just locked himself alone in a bedroom and drank himself into the ground, just marinating in his own anger. Unfortunately, not all the way into the ground. He even quit his job at the convenience store, unable to pull it together long enough to go to work. So he just quit. During this time, Becky found the courage to actually make a really good plan to leave her husband once and for all. Good. And she was really smart about it this time. This was not a knee-jerk reaction. I think she was inspired by her daughter. I really do. Inspired by Robert. I really do. She even wrote a letter to her son, Gene, who didn't live at home anymore, stating her intentions to remove her, herself, and the kids from the home. In her mind, her attempts to leave before had been rushed. And like I said, a knee-jerk reaction. Very emotional. She tried to grab and go. Yeah. But now she was going to be smart about it. She was going to carry on as if nothing was wrong and just go about her business until the time came. Find your moment. With Ronald preoccupied with alcohol and wallowing in his own misery, he didn't even bat an eye when she informed him that she was going to invite all of the grown Simmons kids, Sheila, Jean, and Billy, William, um, and their respective families, home for Christmas. She just wanted one last Christmas together. Yeah, right? she's going to use that to get everybody into all the cars yeah. and get the fuck out. So little did Ronald know Becky was planning their final Christmas together as a family before she would leave her husband for good. And her and her children would finally be free of this monster, which in hindsight, she shouldn't have waited. She should have left, but we'll she's, trying to do, she's trying to do what she knew the best to do. She's tried to leave him before quickly. So she thought maybe this time mm-hmm. a good plan. I would have done the same thing to be honest. So I can't criticize. So that comes back to a saying that it's a military saying we use it all the time at work and it's, a good plan, mm-hmm. violently executed, is better than the perfect plan, you know, executed on the timeline that it's supposed to be or whatever. Yeah. Basically saying a decent plan is fucking do it mm-hmm. rather than perfectly plan everything out and wait till everything's in the perfect moment because it won't work. On December 22nd, after his school-aged children had boarded the school bus and were out of the house on their way to school, Ronald Gene Simmons drove himself to Russellville Walmart, where he purchased a 22 caliber pistol and a box of ammunition. This was back in the day that you could buy a gun at Walmart. <laughs> still buy? Can you still buy guns at Walmart? No. I think you can still buy them here in Texas. You can buy pellet guns. And shotguns. You can buy certain things there. Not real, like. It's been real a long guns. time since I tried to buy a gun at Walmart because I used to buy them there all the time. But yeah. I believe you if you say you can't. Yeah. So this is back in the day that you could go and buy everything you needed at Walmart. (laughs) When he returned home, he tucked the gun into his pants and held a crowbar at his side as he entered back into the home. When Ronald 
walked into his house through the sliding glass doors, he was surprised to see his eldest son, Gene, had arrived for Christmas along with Gene's three-year-old daughter, Barbara. Oh, shit. Gene came out of the bedroom where he had been with his daughter, and Ronald almost instantly hit the young man in the head three times as hard as he could. To make sure that Gene was indeed dead, Ronald stomped on his midsection with his foot as his son lay on the floor bleeding and dying, driving the last bit of air out of his lungs. All of this commotion had alerted Becky, his wife, that something was wrong. She came running in and saw her firstborn son laying dead on the floor covered in blood. And before she even had a chance to react, her husband started to beat her with the already bloody crowbar before flipping it upside down and stabbing her with the jagged end of it. Years of anger and resentment just came pouring out of him, and it's safe to say that Becky's murder was, in fact, overkill. For sure. To ensure that his wife and son would never cross him again, Ronald then drew his pistol. They're already long gone. Yeah. And um, he put a bullet in both of their heads, a single shot. This is going to get rough, guys. So, well, trigger warning here. This next part involves a child. So you can opt out of this. Yeah. Um, it was coming. The two gunshots had startled three-year-old Barbara when she was in the middle of her nap in a little cot. And she began screaming for her daddy. Callously, Ronald went to the bedroom picked up the toddler, and strangled her to death. Jesus. Then, I'm leaving out a lot of the details that yeah, I've learned. It's not yeah. great. You don't need to go into it. Um, then Ronald proceeded to dump all three bodies in a pre-dug cesspit, um, their toilet, yeah. outside. Uh, dumped them in there before covering them with kerosene and then a tarp. Mm-hmm. And then anchored the tarp down with cinder blocks. It's, it's, it's about kerosene and the odor. Kerosene, it's something about kerosene having to do with the odor. And that has always been a mystery to investigators why he poured kerosene over the bodies. It's maybe the odor, he, I think. Maybe he tended to burn them, but I think, I can't remember that kerosene at one point was used to just basically cover up an odor. Yeah. Because it's such a strong stench. It's very strong. Yeah. So Ronald then went back inside where he had a few beers and watched TV. <laughs> fuck, like nothing happened. Just so callous. And fucking strangled a three year old, but fuck. Then he waited for his four youngest children to return home from school. And this is even rougher, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to leave out the awful details I learned, but it doesn't make it any less sickening. It's still awful. So here we go. For the first time ever, Loretta, Becky, Eddie, and Marianne Simmons saw their father waiting for them to get off the school bus in front of their house. That's not fucking good. As you can imagine, this is not usual for them. For him to ever be present in their lives, like that's, that's gonna be fucking terrible. Yeah, like I see my dad. I have never seen him oh, waiting for that's me. That's not good. Yeah, so they were a little suspicious at first, but that hesitation was replaced with excitement when he brought them all inside the house and told them he had a big Christmas surprise for them. I fucking killed half a family already. He brought and that he was going to show each of them the surprise individually oh, of outside. Yeah. To the pit. He brought each excited child outside one by one and drowned them in a big water barrel before tossing their remains into the septic pit along with their mother, oldest brother, and baby niece. 
Saw that coming. Ronald then laid out barbed wire over the piles of bodies, which I don't understand that. And then covered the, I don't know, and then covered the pit back up with the tarp. For now, he was done, and he could rest until his remaining family members arrived. He slept in that house with those dead bodies around him for four days. And finally, on December 26th, around noon, Ronald's son, Billy, arrived along with his wife, Renata, and their infant son, one-year-old, Trey. Trey is is just short for, it's William, Um, because William was named, Ronald's son was named after Ronald's father. Right. So Trey is the third Trace, so it's Trey. Trey's one. Ronald didn't even wait for the unassuming trio to come inside before opening fire on first his son, Billy, then his wife, Renata. Then, unfortunately, this absolutely disgusting stain on society picked up the one-year-old baby, Trey, and threw him into the water barrel, drowning him. Ronald then, and just left him there in in the water. Ronald then dragged the three bodies inside, just three of them, and laid them out as if they were, I'm sorry, the two bodies inside and laid them out as if they were in a funeral, covering them with their own coats. So William and his wife, Renata. Then he reloaded his pistol and waited for Sheila, the daughter he felt had ultimately betrayed him and her family to arrive. About an hour passed before there was a knock at the door, and Sheila, her husband Dennis, and seven-year-old Sylvia, who was fathered by Ronald, and the couple's one-year-old new son, Michael. Once inside, Ronald shot Dennis once in the chest, always killing the man first. Yeah, to him, that's the only one that can fight back. Killed him instantly. He then leveled his gun to his daughter Sheila's chest, and emptied the magazine into her. That's anger. Again, that overkill. Ang- well, that's anger. Yeah. Ronald then went on to viciously strangle one-year-old Michael, as well as his daughter, Sylvia. The last of the Simmons that he felt had betrayed him was gone. He had killed his whole family. The most recent bodies were laid out inside the house and covered with their winter coats, all aside from his daughter, Sheila. He felt that she deserved special treatment, so he laid her body on top of the dining room table and covered her with the family's finest tablecloth. Mm. The fuck? He then got the body of one-year-old Michael, as well as one-year-old Trey, who was still at the bottom of the water barrel, wrapped them up in garbage bags, stuffed them in the trunk of Billy's car, and parked all of the his older children's vehicles that they had driven there along just, he just put them with the other junkard cars on the property. So they blended in, you know, but Ronald wasn't done. He would have to wait two more days, however, until Monday to carry out the rest of his plan. Motherfuckers that betrayed him were out to get him. Yeah. As we're seeing, he's very controlled. He's willing to wait. This is not a frenzied killing. He's almost viewing it as a mission. It's hundred percent what it is. It's, it's a target. It's a, it's a, you know, this is when this one's going to be here. This is when that one's going to be there. This is my window of opportunity. In fact, Ronald was so relaxed after this that 
He spent the night of the 26th getting drunk at a local bar as if he hadn't just horrifically murdered 14 people, 14 members of his own family. Yeah, I was about to say, not just 14 fucking people. No, these are his- His entire family. Immediate family. Eight yeah. of his own kids, mm-hmm. his wife, and their and his grandchildren and son and daughter-in-laws. So December 28th rolled around and Ronald Simmons woke up, got into his eldest son's jean, his car- and drove himself into Russellville. He walked into the law office that he used to work at as a clerk and shot 24-year-old Kathy Kendricks four times in the head before calmly leaving. The woman who he blamed for tarnishing his name amongst his employers was now taken care of in his sick mind. Mm-hmm. He blamed her, so she was first. Simmons would then go to Taylor Oil Company, where he would gun down one of his company's tr- one of the company's truckers uh, named J.D. Chafin, who died immediately on the scene. Unfortunately, and he was just an innocent bystander. They were strangers. This man was a stranger to Ronald. I mean, they're all innocent. He was just yeah, absolutely. But he was just he simply just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, he you was know? a true case of like you're just in the wrong place. Ronald went on to shoot Rusty Taylor, the owner of Taylor Oil Company, as well as the owner. Uh, Taylor was also the owner of the Mini Mart where Simmons was last employed. So in his eyes, it was two birds with one stone. Two places, yep. He then would shoot the bookkeeper of the oil company, a woman named Julie Money, in, in the head before leaving for his next destination. Both of these victims would miraculously survive, Good so that's him. great. His next stop would be the Mini Mart where Simmons would shoot a woman named... Rebecca Woolery in the chest before turning the gun on the manager on duty, a man by the name of David Salyer. Thankfully, both would survive. Ronald had one more stop to make, the Woodline Motor Freight Company. It was there he went to find his primary target, his old supervisor, Joyce Butts. He fired one shot into her chest and another into her head, and I'm happy to report that although she was critically injured... (laughs) And she had to go through a lot of rehabilitation. She too survived. I was doing the math as you were talking about all the shootings and I could tell who survived and who died. Yep. After he shot Joyce, Simmons was just done with his mission. And he didn't have to kill anymore. So he went and he locked himself into the back office of a young employee named Vicki Jackson. And she's like, what the fuck? Because he's in there with her. And with a he gun. locked the door with he, a gun. She just saw him shooting people. And he simply was like, uh... You can go ahead and call the police. So she did. I'm done. And they shared a cigarette and until the police showed up. She's probably just trying to keep him calm so he doesn't snap on her. Absolutely. Smart girl. Now, once this creature, I don't even call him a man, was in custody, he would simply nod when he was asked if he was responsible for whatever murder in Russellville. Because remember... They have no idea. They about don't the know about yet. the murders on Mockingbird Hill. No, they don't know about the family yet. Yeah. They have no idea about his family. But nevertheless, the magnitude of just the crimes they knew about was far. It's crazy already. Yeah. It was. They it don't was, know about the family. Just him walking from like place to place, just fucking gunning people down is nuts. It was too big to hold Simmons in their tiny jail. Um, so for his safety and the safety of the public, they decided to take him to Arkansas State Hospital in Little Rock because he needed a psych evaluation anyways. I mean, he literally just walked building to building, just shooting people. Right. 
So they did a police transport to avoid any backlash from the community. And it was during this transport that his assigned deputy asked Ronald Simmons about his family on Mockingbird Hill. Right, like you talked about in the very beginning. In the very beginning, um, yeah. Um, they asked him, he asked Simmons, you know, how's your family? What do they think about all this? And Simmons refused to, you know, answer. So the officer radioed in that the Simmons family needed to be checked on ASAP. But like you said in the beginning, when he questioned him, he was just stoic and looked forward, but his lip was quivering. Yeah. When the police arrived at the Simmons family home, they were absolutely not prepared for the horrors that they found on the property. You don't expect to find as, 14 As bodies. you can imagine. According to author Ryan Green, the strange ways that Ronald had hidden some of them and laid out others, like almost on display, and treated the corpses with kerosene wrapped in some garb. Some were wrapped in garbage bags. It confused the forensics team. There's no rhyme like, or reason. What's to going it. on? Because he took the children, the infants, and stuff, wrapped them in garbage bags. He took his his daughter that he was in love with, mm-hmm. put her on the table under a tablecloth. He laid a couple others in the house out with displayed them jackets on over so them. Weird. And then he buried a whole bunch in yeah. a pit. Covered in kerosene and barbed wire. I'm sure you can imagine what it did did to the investigators that found those children, especially the infants. Like strangled to death, stuffed in a trunk. Can you imagine? It's one thing to find a like that's a life altering sight. 100. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I know you have, but and, and it's so. Oh. I can tell you from personal experience, finding the dead body or seeing a dead body of a grown adult has a different impact, impact on you than a child. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. You can reason an adult. In some weird way, your brain can deal with it. It can't deal with a baby. Yeah, it can't. It just can't. Well, no, we can't wrap ourselves. And you know, the same. It's just bad all around. But although Russell Simmons remained mute and completely unremorseful, Officer Bolin was able to reconstruct all the events that took place leading up to, during, and after the murders. They're not hard to reconstruct once you look at it. No, it's not once you look at it. And all of the investigators were just shocked and sickened. By his, how callous and how brutal and calculated. Well, all once this you break was. down the crime scene, once you do autopsies, you see all these people that the kids that were just thrown in, they were drowned. So you can assume what happened. There's only one place they probably were drowned. You got shell casings, you got bullet holes, you got bullet holes in the buildings. You have. He's a one shot guy, too. It's not hard to put this whole crime scene together. It's not like one of those. When you initially come upon it, you're like, it's the display thing that probably fucked everybody up. Once you really start digging into it, it's a really simple crime scene. Yeah, and you look at these cars, and then there's a baby in each of them. It's like, and then you oh, autopsy geez. them, and the babies had water in their lungs, and there's a giant water mm. tub out the back of the car. I mean, but I'm just saying, yeah, I don't want to bring it like that. But I'm just saying it's an easy crime scene to dissect because you'll look at the cars. They had cars laying on their yard, mm-hmm. like all throughout it, and then you have three or four of them that are. They don't have grass growing around them. They don't have dirt on them. And they there's don't babies fit. in them. Well, it's not even that. They don't yeah. fit with the rest of the lot. Like, those look new. So I'm going to go look at those right away. Because those don't fit with the rest of the scene. So, I mean, so it's an easy crime sack to dissect. It's just fucked up. Well, you won't be surprised to know that at the state hospital he was sent to for the psyche valve, he was found completely sane. He knew right, right from wrong. He knew the difference between life and death. And that's all that's required to see that you're fit to stay in trial. I disagree. You do? I 100% disagree. What year was this? Um, 80, 87? Yeah. And the diagnosis it didn't exist back then for what was wrong with this dude. What? I'll get into it at the end. But okay. I'm going to let you do your thing, but I completely disagree with that. 
Yeah, I in know. In fact, I'll, actually, you know what? I'll get into it. This dude is 100% PTSD. Maybe, yeah. The No. The way that he You carried, just know it. I can, I, as a vet, as I fucking can feel it. Yeah. The way he carried it out, mm-hmm. to your point, was like it was like a mission. He was, it was. To him, he was on a fucking mission. And when it was done, he completed it. This was not. Yeah. I, I don't want to write off that this sick fucker did this, but I it, it sounds like a complete fucking mental break. Yeah. And he went back to you, the one place and the only thing he knows how to do. It, it's that. And that. And that's really that gives me chills because now that you say that I hadn't thought of that because I just hate him so much and he's bad. And in my mind, I, you know, the veterans I know in my very encapsulated life are good, you know, they are. So and the ones you know are good. And a lot of them are my friends that you know are good, but yeah. a lot of them have fucking demons that the world's don't know about. Cause we don't of advertise course. that to the world. Of course, of course, but not to this. But he was, I don't, I'm not saying he was a good person. He was no, already a he bad was, person. He was already a bad person. Yeah, for sure. His daughter leaving with the other dude when he sat down and bro- he hit a mental. It, it was almost. It was not even like a PTSD at that point. It was a mm-hmm. mental break. He snapped. Yeah. He one hundred percent is not sane when he's carrying out these actions. He broke. He is mentally gone. He's not there anymore. And the way I can say that with one hundred percent certainty mm-hmm. is the the manner that he carried this shit out was so fucking military militaristically calculated very robotic very, very mission like this yeah. is your target this is your objective this is how you're going to do it this is how you're going to stage this is what's going to happen like time how interesting wise, i love that yeah time i mean i don't wise, love that but it, i love your insight on it this. fits that so well that i literally think he broke and mm-hmm. since he was 12 years old he's known as the military mm-hmm. and structure mm-hmm. that's what he went to yeah still should die for this um, he and should burn hell. fucking be lit on fire. Yeah, like, absolutely. Fuck him. Yeah. I'm just saying he is not sane. No, he's, I can see that now. I totally. He is not sane. Understand where you're but coming from. But in 1983 from. or 1987, 1987? Yeah. PTSD didn't exist. No. You just, it was shell shock. You were shell shock wasn't up. even a thing. Shell shock was a thing, but that was like a temporary thing. Yeah. They didn't know that it lasted 20 years. Mm-mm. They thought it lasted like six months. Or a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know you lived with it till the day you died. Yeah. Nowadays, we know that, you know, trauma from combat and law enforcement, you know, fire, rescue, all these things you see, that lives with you for the rest of your life. Oh, for sure. They didn't equate that back then. Well, Russell, uh, I almost said Russell Simmons. <laughs> it's hard not to say Gene Simmons or Russell oh my Simmons. Gosh. I've been thinking it the whole time. Ronald Simmons was sent to prison from the hospital where- He's not running around in little shorty shorts. No, he's like not. Super aerobics. <laughs> <laughs> so he was sent to prison from the hospital where the news of his crimes, as you can imagine, went- Quickly viral. public. Yeah, viral back then, viral for 87. Like, he was on America's Most Wanted. He was on, like, He was TikTok famous. Everywhere. I mean, it was bad. Yeah. He was on Dateline. It, it was, it was only... It was like this motherfucker. It was only a matter of time before word got out, and the whole state of Arkansas and the nation went nuts. But this was very quick. Like, everything happened really quick with this crime. Uh, You know, it was a weekend. It was done, and... People were dead, and then it was reported, and then he was having his trial, and just everything went quick. Well, they had to, because this is one of those situations back then. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, they would drag this motherfucker out for two years for the publicity. Probably. Back then, they didn't want the publicity. They were like, fuck, get this thing over with. Simmons had made local history by committing the largest mass murder in the state of Arkansas. During his first trial, Ronald Gene Simmons would be found guilty 
He had two trials. His first trial, he was found guilty of 22 crimes in total and was sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murders in Russellville, just the murders of his co-workers. Not even his family. Plus 147 years in prison for good measure, because you never know. Things, you know, there's appeals, there's... (laughs) There's appeals, and, you know, back in the day, they were allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do it anymore. I believe there's a constitutional, not a constitutional, a congressional law that was Mm -hmm. passed saying you can't add on to the death penalty because the death penalty is death penalty. Yeah. But there was a time that, especially with lethal injection, when it first came around, people didn't die right away. Mm-hmm. There was a few that survived lethal injection. Wow. And then there was like, what the fuck do we do with them? That's So I they let them go. That. So there was a period in time in criminal justice where they would tack a sentence on top of a death penalty. Just in case. In the event that they survived, that you, survived the- you know, the electric chair, lethal injection, whatever the fuck it was, you still got 147 years so you ain't getting out. Yeah. Well, he was then transferred to death row, where he would remain during his second trial for the murder of his family. Fuck. It was during this trial, <laughs> Pat, you're going to love this. I'm not loving any of this. It was during this trial that prosecuting attorney John Bynum stood up in front of the jury and read them very explicit and very private uh, letters written by Ronald to his oldest daughter, Sheila. To Sheila, yeah. Oh, God. The letters revealed... Ronald to be the aggressive, woman-hating, incestuous, rapist monster that he was. I'm sure they were. After Bynum read the last of the letters, he went to return to his seat at the prosecution's table when unexpectedly, not so unexpectedly, Ronald Simmons stood up and punched him in the face. The prosecuting attorney. Yeah, it's going to go over well. (laughs) And if... (laughs) If it wasn't for an officer of the court subduing Simmons, he absolutely would have beaten Bynum to death. He was going after him. No doubt about it. It it goes to show you the level of rage in this man. It does, but I think... Whenever his daughter is mentioned. His daughter was what brought that out. I think Sheila... Well, I'm not going to put blame on her, for sure. No, it's not her. It's his relationship with her. Someone else was tarnishing, and he was not going to stand for that. Yeah, he just wasn't going to have it. So as you can probably guess, Ronald Simmons was convicted of murdering his entire family, all 14 members, in cold blood, and was sentenced to death by lethal injection for each one of them. <laughs> 14 counts of death. Oh yes. My Lord. Like, survive that shit. While on death row, Simmons had to be separated from the other prisoners as his life was threatened constantly. And this was this well, this was because he refused to appeal his death sentence because he had it in his head. He wanted to die. The other prisoners believed Simmons was they were that he was damaging their chances of beating their own death sentence. It was setting a precedence, right? He was setting a new standard that I did it. I'm not going to do it. And the rest of them are like, even if you did it, you fucking appeal. That's what you do. You're, you're not giving us a chance. Regardless of the fact that there's two things they say, you don't want to be in in prison. And that's a cop killer and a baby killer Mm -hmm. because there's like a code amongst criminals. But the fact that he's sitting there saying, I'm not going to appeal it. Every person on death row, guilty or not, is like, you don't fucking do that. You come to death row, you appeal. After Simmons, he actually did have one stay of execution. It was just a mix-up of paperwork. Um, It's cool. He's got 27 more. One stay of execution was put in place. The local sheriff showed his concern for human life by saying, and quote, I'm angry that a country such as we live in can go through with this kind of thing. I had hoped for our U.S. Supreme Court judges would have a little more sense than to listen to some cockeyed death row inmate. 
just thought that was funny. That is pretty funny. But finally, future president who was governor of Arkansas at the time, you may know him, Bill Clinton. Yep, I know his name. Signed Simmons' death warrant. And on June 25th, 1990, Russell Gene Simmons was put to death by way of lethal injection. It took exactly 17 painless minutes for him to die. Rather unfair, if you ask me, for the years for the years of pain and agony that human rights bullshit. He caused his family and so many others on fire and kill him. We should still be allowed to hang him. Let them fucking suffer for the shit they put families through. I'm I'm actually against death penalty. We've been over that before. We have. I'm not. I know you're not. Fuck you. You kill 14 people, including kids. I should be able to tear you limb from limb and let you bleed to death. I should like. I should be able to light you the fuck on fire and let you die from it. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad for it. I'm just fucking painless (laughs) injection kills you without you even. You just go to sleep and don't wake up. Fuck that. I would like to take these last moments of the episode to really focus on the victims because each one of those lives seemingly gets lost to a degree in this hellacious story of this vicious man because he had so many victims. Each name gets lost. And it's just so gruesome and horrific that you forget that people were actually those people that lost their lives. And babies. And and he's not what matters. The victims do. What matters is he's dead and the victims matter. Each one of those children that he murdered were innocent with their whole lives ahead of them. Each one of his children that he murdered one by one were innocent. suffered at his hand up until the very end. He killed them slowly and he, over a lifetime. He killed them over a lifetime, and they were innocent, too. They didn't deserve it. Yeah, and they Not never knew a life out from under his control. They really Except- didn't. His wife, Becky, let's not forget, she was about to leave, to live a life enjoying her children, her grandchildren, Without having to live in complete fear, something she hadn't known since she was 19 and she was 46 or 42 when she passed yeah. uh, or when she was murdered. Sorry. Yeah, she didn't pass. She was, she was murdered. She would never get that chance. She was just trying to do the right thing. Each of his co-workers that he murdered did absolutely wrong that nothing, nothing wrong that day aside from going to work. That's all they did. And not wanting to be sexually harassed. Think of the sheer number. Just... Just think of the sheer number of funerals that had to be held for just one family. Just think of that. What's depressing about that is think of the sheer number of people that couldn't even show up to those funerals because they were all yep deceased. And all because this misogynistic monster of a human felt wronged and betrayed by people who wanted nothing more than just to live their lives. That's it. So I definitely like to end this episode by listing the names of 16 all 16 of his victims, if you don't mind. And I'm listing them in the order of which they were taken from us chronologically. So Ronald Gene Simmons Jr., also known as Gene, he was 29 years old. Rebecca Simmons was 46. Barbara Simmons was three. Loretta Simmons, 17. Eddie Simmons, 14. Marianne Simmons, 11. Rebecca Becky Simmons, 8. William Billy Simmons, 22. Renata Simmons, 21. William, also known as Trey Simmons, was 1. Sheila Simmons McNulty, 24. Dennis McNulty, 33. Sylvia Gail McNulty, 7. Michael McNulty, 1. 
Kathleen or Kathy Kendrick, she was only 24. James David Chafin, 33. And that's the list of his victims. And that's the story of... And only four of them were over the age of 24. <sighs> yeah. Mockingbird Hill Massacre. Yeah. That was a tough one for me. I don't, I don't know, know about fuck you. you chose that one. I, <laughs> I, I need to have fucking producerial. What? <laughs> producer editing rights of what you fucking cover on the show. Producerial? Oh producerial. I made that word. <laughs> I <right>. like it. <laughs> and I really hate <sighs> this one. I really, really fucking hate this one. I know. Because he was an absolute monster. Just a shit human. Regardless of his shit title. Human. Shit human. Mm-hmm. But I truly don't think he was a pure monster that his actions show him to be. I think he broke. Oh, he was an incestuous pedophile. I'm not I'm not glorifying this dude. I'm not denouncing him. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I think there's an aspect that I wish I had government grants that I could go into in-depth studies into shit like this. Because this know. dude has and that's been- PTSD fucking breaking point written all over him. Whether it's right you or wish wrong. you could study him. I want to study that. And you know, it it's monster. funny you say that, and that's one of the reasons where why we are keeping these people alive longer now is to understand, so that yeah, we can a, understand them and talk to them. Yeah, yeah. the psychopathy of these monsters. But I've seen so many people. I've witnessed a lot of what his life was. Not the misogynistic. Well, I have seen that, but not some of the stuff that he did and the way he was. But the military side of it, the snapping and the breaking, I've seen that in so many different ways. Yeah. It strikes, it, like, it really strikes home to me. That's why I'm saying, I don't know that this dude was the monster that he was, at the end, he, he appeared to be. He was a fucking monster. Do not get me wrong. But he wasn't a mass murderer, maybe. But at the time that this stuff happened, I don't think he was there. It wasn't even I a think person. this motherfucker was just... Checked out. Checked out in Vietnam, carrying out what he fucking needed to do. I don't know that he was Ted Bundy cutting people the fuck up because that's what he likes to do. It would have been... I'm not saying that he should have been kept alive longer because the only... You know, it's so funny. He was so anxious to die. Yeah, he was probably in a lot of fucking pain. Yeah, that... Which leads me to believe that when he carried this shit out... It made me happy. That he wanted to die? It, no, it made me. It would make me, I think, happier if we would have kept him alive because it's not what he wanted. You know what I mean? Because he no, deserves pain. You know, I, I said I want them fucking burn him alive and do other things. I still think, you know, to your point about the death penalty, and we've talked about this so many times. I think it's actually more of a torture. You know, it's a more of a burden on the state and the country. Yeah. To keep him alive financially. Mm-hmm. It's it's more of a burden actually to put him to death. Is it? Yeah. Well, it's more you know expensive. What? It's more of a burden. On the monster to keep him in a cage for 80 fucking years. That's why I don't agree with the death Let penalty. Let them wallow in. Someone <laughs> yeah. like him. But then again, I, I want to preface no. that by saying I do not. I've never had a child that was taken from me by a monster. No, but so. he's a prime case. Mm-hmm. This dude would have gone on another level of insane if you had kept him locked up for the next 50 years. Good. Because what I want. he wanted to die. Yeah. Because I truly believe... And this is just me, and this is just my familiarity with the military side of it. I truly believe he was not there the day he did this shit. Mm-hmm. I truly believe he broke, he snapped, he carried this shit out like he was fucking running through the streets of Vietnam, executing a mission that he was given by his command. Mm. And then when he came to, he was like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's not going to portray that to anybody because he's a real tough guy. But mentally, he 
he would have had to live. I'm just saying, if you put him in a cage for the next 40 years, he has to live with every time that thought does, if it does come to his head, that he fucking murdered 14 fucking family members mm-hmm. to include the daughter that he was in love with mm-hmm. and the and the grandchild daughter that he fathered. I don't mm-hmm. know what the fuck you even call that. I think it would have been more of a prison sentence for him to be thrown in a dungeon and locked in a fucking... That's what I think should happen. In a, in a cell and we feed him bread and water for the rest of his life. Yeah. With it and live with your own thoughts. We talked about your own that. demons. We talked about that, mm-hmm. and this is a, I love this because we talked about that in Eastern State Pen mm-hmm. and why the Pennsylvania system of criminal justice failed mm-hmm. because it was considered too inhumane, yeah, to leave prisoners in isolation alone with their thoughts. Yeah, initially, if you remember, that was brought up because that's how we thought they would repent. Yeah, but that it was brought to be too in fucking humane. We can kill them. We can't just leave them alone with the fucking thoughts of what they've done. I think the difference is I don't care about them repenting. It's not a means to an end. It's not a repentance. Yeah. It's more of a torture for me to put you in a room for the rest of your goddamn life. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's all you get is what's in your brain. Yeah. What comes through your head. Eventually those thoughts will come through. If not, you're just going to go insane and whatever. Enjoy your little four by nine concrete. Drinking your own piss. I don't give a shit. I don't care. (laughs) I just don't want you dead. Yeah, exactly. I just went on a rant. I am so sorry. No, you're good. But I I do really want the victims to be, you know, up front here because they lived a tortured life. No, they are up front. And, and I, they think are, it's, I think it's great that we're picking him apart. And you definitely shed some light on an aspect I didn't even consider with him. But and, and to your point, I'm not doing that to take away from the victims, right? Oh, yeah. They are the reason why we tell these stories. Of course. Yeah. We do not tell these stories for shock value. No. We don't tell these stories to be like, look how crazy this fucking thing we told was. Like, we yeah. want these stories out there because these people mm-hmm. deserve their names to be told of what the fuck happened to them. Like, yeah. This shit is not okay. Mm-hmm. I am not advocating that poor guy had PTSD. No, no, fuck that. He was a fucking piece of shit. He deserved what he got at the end. I think it could have been worse. That's it definitely could have been worse. I also think we could have studied him. <laughs> he could have been a huge fucking case to just dive into because yeah. I think you know in nineteen like I said nineteen eighty seven PTSD wasn't a thing nowadays. This thing would be like every fucking government agency and private funding would be throwing money at this dude just to study the shit Hopefully. out of him. Fully, because this dude. I would hope have a case. that the government cares that much about our mental health, but it wouldn't. Be about our mental health. It would be about the effects of war on people and probably how they can use that. But yeah, whatever. That's fine. Whatever. Blow but no, I, it wasn't glorifying him. I'm just fascinated by this because it strikes a chord. No, you definitely him. shed some light I don't want on, to take away from the- you know, in researching this, I was so just heartbroken, I think. Especially no. the babies got me. And my, I was about to say my and- defense mechanism when we we're talking about how, like, I'm damn near tearing up when we we're talking about the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. My defense mechanism is to just. Take it somewhere else. Like, get the fuck away from that. Like, yeah. I don't even want to talk about that shit. No, so I know. You're horrible. like that. Yeah. But, um, And yeah. when you were talking about him in the beginning, and, the, and this is an interesting point I wanted to bring up, the time frame is so weird how it kind of fits. When you talk about how he was building that compound mm-hmm. out there, you know what it reminded me of? And I can't remember the name of it. Prior to Waco, mm-hmm. there was that FBI ATF involvement. Yeah, it was that. Ro- not, oh. I could not think of it. What's the name of it? But you know what I'm talking about. Yes. The standoff. Yes. Almost sparked Waco, which sparked the outrage afterwards. It just it just really the compound idea, walling yourselves off, 
uh, it really just sparked that in me as you were describing. I was like, man, that sounds so familiar. And it was all within a four-year time frame. Yeah. I'm Googling it. I know. Ruby Ridge. Ruby, that is it. Ruby, it yeah. gave me Ruby Ridge vibes the way he was building this company. Oh, for sure. That's all. Yeah. I mean, and again, I don't want to bring, it's just, it's interesting because that was Ruby Ridge, this story, his building, his compound, Waco, what, four years apart? Four and a half years apart? So Ruby Ridge is before Waco. Waco was 92. So this was 87. Yeah. That's crazy. So when was Ruby Ridge? 91, 90? 92. 92. So mm-hmm. I was, right, I mean, it was all the same time frame. So it's a five-year period. I mean, Ruby Ridge and Waco are right next to each other. I'm just, I'm not even comparing them. I'm just saying it drew comparisons in my mind. Yeah. The way he was building the complex, the isolation, the hermetic lifestyle, that's all. Well, it's definitely, you know, something learned. And but something- this was... Fuck, this was a definitely... I don't even want you to tell any more stories anymore. Okay. It was too fucking heavy. Next one. It was a heavy one. It wasn't even dark. Like, dark I can deal with, but this was fucking heavy. Next one, I'm not going to say it's light, but it's... Um, Is it dark or heavy? I can deal with dark all day long. Just dark. I'm good with that. Anyways, I'm going to go watch The Hills now. <laughs> right? I'm going to play World of Warcraft and tell everybody I love them can you imagine everybody that passes by you on world of warcraft i love you i love you friend here's some free money here's some game money yeah <laughs> okay so i hate to leave you on that note but i'm gonna leave you on that note and i love you guys and we, we will do. see you next time and we'll get not too much lighter but a little lighter a little less heavy a little less heavy yeah and um, be good to each other. Don't, you know, be bad. Bad to each other. There you go. I mean, you I, you were gonna take that somewhere else. I had to stop you. <sighs> Anyways, I, I'm so fucked up right now. I know. I, I can see it. That's okay. why I had to stop you on that one. Bye, guys. <laughs>